The witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord and as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now God is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to God, all of them are alive.
There is a meeting place just north of the Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. One among many meeting places around the stadium, this particular place is an oasis of tribute amidst a landscape and a people typically focused on other matters during the fall of the year. It's a simple monument, paying tribute to all those from the University of Oklahoma whose lives have been lost when this nation has been at war. Gathered near a flagpole, the low cement walls serve as a base for the plaques that bear the names of the fallen. It's on that site that a few people will meet before heading into the game. And every now and then, you can see people not simply sitting and waiting, but reading and reflecting and remembering. It's a moment of solemnity amidst an atmosphere of revelry. Standing in that memorial recently and reading some of the names included, suddenly the voice of my father came to mind, who years ago offered a piece of advice, the essence of which is that a person ought to go to a funeral two or three times a year because, as he suggested, it can help you keep perspective. It can give you the chance to reflect on what really matters in life. It can offer a time for you to ponder your values. In a little less sobering tone, but no less the same advice, Harry Emerson Fosdick echoed that sentiment when he said, our life's ultimate significance lies in our choice of the convictions to which we surrender ourselves. We might say that this day in the life of the church is like standing in the memorial to those whose lives have gone before us. For this is a day when the church stills the noise of the world around us as we give thanks for all the saints. The church, perhaps more than any other place in culture, is the kind of community where the living gathered here today and those who have lived among us but do not do so now are always abiding in an intimate proximity to each other. Now that reality was poignantly and magnificently proclaimed recently when one of our seniors in high school spoke of the centrality of this church in her life. After stating her name, she placed herself in the larger con context of her life as the fifth generation in this church to be part, in the fifth generation in her family to be part of this church. And no sooner had she said that than it was not only her fifth generation voice that we were hearing, but also the voice of her great-grandmother who sang in this choir, and who taught the children of this church to sing. And then we could hear the voices of the great-great-grandparents whose family shaped the foundations of this church from its earliest days. And as she spoke, we were being reminded of that great cloud of witnesses. Indeed, 
that great cloud of witnesses descended on us and we could listen for the saints. She helped us realize the deeper truth in which we are all embraced. We are all fifth generations in this church. Thanks to those who have lived before us. There's an old phrase, you might have heard it, dead men tell no tales. And we know that idiom is as wrong as it can be. Because this day in particular and the church in general proclaims we all receive from the voices of those who have preceded us. So we're a fifth generation church. More than that, we're an 80th generation church. More than that, we trace our ancestry as far back as history itself. And today, we stand in the midst of this great memorial, remembering that absent these generations, we too would be absent. So we have deliberately and singularly remembered today by saying the names of those who have died in the past year and beyond those in this congregation, hearing the names of all those who have given shape and are still giving shape to our living. In so recalling the saints and in letting their light enlighten our lives, we remember that they are less the community of the perfect and more the community of the persevering. Those who tried, failed, and tried again to live for Christ so that we might also live for Christ. And so we honor the saints, not because they led unblemished lives, but because the wounds they endured during life were to become sources of courage and wisdom and companionship and compassion as they taught us. And as we worship today, one of the places of our remembering takes us to this conversation between Jesus and a group of Sadducees. Luke tells us this story, and for all its oddity and obscurity, Jesus proclaims the good news that carries us even on a day like today. As told in the 20th chapter of Luke, Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and there is one contentious debate after another. There's debates about Jesus' authority. There's a debate about the parable of the wicked tenants, a debate about taxes, a debate about scribes, a debate about resurrection. Some of the Sadducees disagree with some of the Pharisees and with Jesus about life after death, so they present an absurd hypothetical about a woman whose tragedies are compounded by the loss of seven husbands. Religious law required that when a woman's husband died, the brother of the deceased would marry the widow and raise the children, for this was the only security available in a culture 
where women had no power of their own. Seven marriages, seven deaths. To whom will she be married in the afterlife? The Sadducees' question, perhaps meant to entrap Jesus rather than inform people, presumes that if and whatever the afterlife is like, it must mostly simply be an extension of life as we know it now. And Jesus rejects their premise. And citing Moses, just as the Sadducees do, he reminds them that the God who speaks through the burning bush is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is to say God is God of both the living and those who have left this earthly plane. That life with God is not determined by whatever the earthly status and structures might be. What Jesus is saying is that nothing, not even death, can limit God. That wherever God is, there is life. That where God is, there is resurrection. Across the generations, across the circumstances, across the limitations of our own imaginations. Resurrection, says Jesus, is God's undying, eternal claim on us, for to God all are alive. And some of the scribes, who were often at odds with Jesus, were favorably impressed by what he said. And so they decided, no more questions for Jesus. Jesus had made it clear, to be joined with God is to know life, not death. The one who, as the book of Revelation promises, makes all things new. Today, on All Saints Sunday, we are held in that promise of God's partnership with us and with all, and that God is always the God of life, whether in this life or in the life to come. Today, in the church, where past and present and future live in close proximity, we realize that as much as this day is about those who have gone before us, this day is also meant to encourage us to persevere. A day to recognize that though we try and fail and try again as those who have gone before us, we will live for Christ. Today we are reminded, as Peter Gomes once observed, that a memorial is of no use if there is no one to do the remembering. And so as that remembering community, Gomes also reminds us that All Saints Sunday is not only the community of recollection, it is also the fellowship of participation and anticipation. So today, we gather in memoriam and in perpetuity to proclaim that because we are here, this place will never become solely a place of memory, but instead is always a memory-informed place whose purpose is to give life to the next generations. 
teaching our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to the fifth generation and beyond, serving our neighbors who live close by in their present need, engaging in mission both here and abroad so children who have little hope will grow up to be adults living with great hope. We gather today in memoriam and in perpetuity to proclaim that though life on this earth does not last forever, yet we are held forever by the resurrecting God who in all times and in all places gives life. And that means that with the living of our days, we are called to and we will love people as much as we can. We will heal those who are wounded as much as we are able. And we will work to end what is unjust as much as we will. For the resurrecting life is not limited solely to what happens at the end of our days on God's good earth. The way author Wendell Berry said it was this. Practice resurrection every day. It seems right and good, this year especially, that a final few words be given to the, to the voice of Frederick Buechner, who, reflecting on his own faith, wrote that in a world where there is so much that is unsure, there are still some things that he would be willing to bet his life on. And here's what he said. He's willing to bet his life on the idea that life is grace. The givenness of it, the fathomlessness of it, the endless possibilities of its becoming transparent to something extraordinary beyond itself. That whether or not you call on God, God is present. That if we really had our eyes open, we would see that all moments are key moments. That whoever does not love remains in death. That Jesus is the word made flesh who dwells among us full of grace and truth. That here and there and now and then we catch glimpses of a new creation which fleeting as those glimpses are apt to be. Give us hope for this life and for whatever life may await us later on. What's lost is nothing to what's found, Godric said in one of Beekner's novels. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. So today, we gather to remember, through tears and great hope, that what has been is not lost on us. And today, we gather to pledge and to promise that the next generations 
will not be lost to us. For we will give them every reason to one day speak our names as their saints. Today, it's the kind of day when the church gives voice as best we can to our finest words of faith and our deepest words of hope. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. For to God, all are alive.